Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. This scripture that we're about to read is really the pinnacle of Paul's teaching in this uh, grand letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. It is the, uh, the pinnacle of, of his revelation and his message that he has to encourage the people of God going through difficult times. And uh, it echoes down throughout the generations. Here we are 2,000 years later after it's been written and still has incredible power uh, for our lives. And I want to uh, encourage you tonight to join me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This has been a year of great challenge. Uh, And... Yeah, every year is a year of great challenge, but uh, certainly we've faced some new challenges this year uh, that, we, that were unanticipated. And, uh, and one of the things that we have not anticipated uh, in 2020 is the, uh, the daily updates on the news and uh, the, um, the, many times the hysteria and the panic that is generated by the growing list of COVID-19 deaths, right? Have you seen this? There's almost like a, a counter on many, uh, many news organizations. This is a really great way for them to get a greater audience, get more eyeballs, uh, is to have a daily tracking of how many people are dying uh, of COVID-19. And now, um, you know, uh, sadly, we are, we're uh, reaching close to, uh, I believe it's 320,000 people have died in this United States from COVID-19, or at least with COVID-19. Um, and, uh, and so one thing that this has caused many people to do is to have a reality check, again, that death is a certain possibility, right? Uh, and as, as, uh, as scary as that might be on the news report, what's even scarier is that you and I have a greater risk of dying in a car accident every time you step into your vehicle uh, than you ever would of getting, getting COVID-19. And the reality that, uh, that uh, you know, death is lurking around the corner for all of us. Uh, I hate to bum you out tonight, but that's, that's real, isn't it? Uh, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. And I think that that possibly is part of uh, why this has been such a difficult year. As we, uh, we've seen people, even our own family, uh, death has touched our family. My father-in-law passed away this year, went on to be with Jesus. And, um, and so we've had to deal with that. It's, uh, it's a daily struggle for my wife especially. And so uh, it's just a reminder. You know, we watched uh, as his coffin was lowered down into the ground there in Chandler, Arizona. And it's a reminder, you know, death is for real. There's a reason why we have life insurance, isn't there? Uh, that it, a responsible 
human being should have life insurance. You know why you wouldn't have life insurance? Because you don't want to deal with the reality of death. Or you're putting it off or hoping that it would never touch your life. But the reality is that death will come to us all. Uh, it's the unfortunate but necessary result of sin. And because we are born in sin, then there is the certain doom of death. And so the scripture we're about to read uh, deals with the reality of death, but also we find an answer for the sting and the pain that death uh, that is accompanied by death. And I hope tonight that you will leave more encouraged instead of more bummed out. That's really the goal. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 50. And really our focus tonight is from verse 55 through 58. But let's get a little context here, beginning with verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, tonight, physical things will not uh, tr be transmitted into the kingdom. That's important tonight. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, here's the point. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is a message I've titled, Our Final Victory. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. And tonight I pray you'll give us the vision, the inspiration to trust in your word tonight and to look forward to that glorious day when this corruptible must put on incorruption, when these mortal bodies will put on immortality. And God, we, we glorify you for the work that you are doing and that you are going to do. Give us comfort and strength in this truth tonight. And we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. I want to begin tonight by speaking with you about what almost seems unbelievable. What almost seems to be something so good, you know, they say that uh, it seems too good to be true. This is one of those things in Scripture that it just, it seems too good to be true. You know, you get a phone call from one of those, uh, one of those spam calls. I don't get those calls anymore because I have a spam blocker on my phone. 
But, uh, you know, you get the phone call that says, uh, we've got a deal for you. And uh, if you, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's an uh, all-paid vacation package to Maui. And uh, there's going to be a hotel, there's going to be all expenses paid, and there's going to be, and, and what do you ask? <laughs> What's the catch? This seems too good to be true. Why would you give all that to me? Oh, well, you just have to come down and listen to our seven-hour presentation and put down $1,000. And then, yeah, see, it was too good to be true. Well, this is one of those truths in the Bible that seems like it's too good to be true. And we, uh, we find ourselves, at least I do, looking for the catch. What, you know, what's, what's the catch here? Am I missing something? Well, the, the, there is uh, something that the Word of God calls us to tonight, and so we're going to get there. But I want to talk to you first about the glory of resurrection. And I've already spoken a little bit about that in the last message, but I want to hone down on what it is that, that God has for us in the future. So first of all, Paul makes a statement here that I mentioned, very important, in verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's important for us to remember in this world that is so focused on material things, in physical things. There is a a whole segment of our society which denies spiritual reality. And by by basically saying that the only thing I believe in is what I can see, what I can hear, what I can feel, what I can touch and taste. That's the only reality that I know. This is a purely uh, 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 physical or non-spiritual existence. And listen, if you live a life denying spiritual reality, you're going to miss a lot of important things, right? That is a life that is lived only by flesh and blood. And what Paul says here is that flesh and blood, material things, the things of this life, things that we touch and taste and see, those things will never inherit the kingdom of God. If we're going to enter into all of these glorious, too-good-to-be-true realities that uh, that Paul speaks about here, we've got to see something beyond material, beyond the physical that there is a metaphysical or a super-spiritual, supernatural reality. And that is beyond flesh and blood. Paul states also in Ephesians that the battle that we face, the war that we wage, is not flesh and blood. God has not called us to wage war, but He has called us to pray, right? Spiritual principalities in high places. That's why the greatest weapon you have is in the prayer room. The prayer room, beloved, is not for taking naps. It is for waging war against our great enemies, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And those are spiritual enemies, aren't they? And if we live our lives only in material things and physical realities, we're going to miss all of the attacks that are coming against us. I say to you tonight, the flesh and blood alone is not enough. A flesh and blood lifestyle, a lifestyle that is lived only by feelings and and a human truth and human nature, those are all things of flesh and blood. What did Jesus say to Peter when he had this revelation of who Jesus was? 
He said, uh, who do men say that, say that I am? Peter responded and said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You didn't get that from a book. You didn't get that from some teacher on earth. It was the Father. It was God in heaven who revealed that to you, Peter. And because of that, on this rock, I will build my church, right? If we're going to inherit God's kingdom, it's not because you're going to do some study and figure it out on your own. It's not because you're going to get some education. It's not because you're going to achieve some merit badge, right? The reason that we can inherit the kingdom of God is not because of something physical or material. It will be through spiritual revelation. That's important tonight. That's why we come together in the house of God. That's why we study the Word of God, because in His Word we will find spiritual truths beyond flesh and blood. Now Paul enters in to a mystery. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, of course, in the New Testament, often the idea of sleep is used as a metaphor for death. So what, he, what he's saying is, we're not all going to die. He is anticipating, the Apostle Paul is anticipating that Jesus could, be, could come back at any moment, right? He's saying, it's possible that there's some people who will read my letter that you are not going to experience death, but we will all be changed. It's possible that Jesus could return, and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet... Uh, will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. He is saying that this could happen before you finish reading my letter. And if Paul anticipated this to, to occur 2,000 years ago, don't you think we should be anticipating that even more? Don't you think that we ought to be anticipating this, this amazing event that is promised to us in Scripture? And when we think about resurrection, li listen to the de description that the Apostle Paul gives us in the Scripture here. Verse 53, for this incorruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. <clears throat> so Paul gives us two descriptors of what life is like as a human being. It's corruption and mortality. That's a pretty... Uh, that's a pretty accurate description of life of flesh and blood, right? Corruption and mortality. That we get this little blip on the radar screen of life. That we get 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years if you're really blessed, right? The little blip in the span of eternity. It's just this little dot that as the radar passes by, bloop, and it, we show up for a moment in history, and then we fade away. That this life that we're living now, that, you know, we think, that we, that we assume that we're going to go to bed tonight and we're going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to go back to work and go about our lives and we just, we just think that that's going to happen because that's how it's been happening. But I'm telling you, you don't know that to be the truth. Every time we begin to plan and think about, last night we had the men gather together, began planning and thinking about our next year, event, events, and 
things that we want to do as a congregation and placing a roadmap. But I'm very cognizant. I'm very understanding that, listen, God can change plans. I'm not even guaranteed to wake up tomorrow. That's why i got to have my heart right with God today. And all of the well-laid plans of man can be thrown out the window. Paul said that this life of flesh and blood is represented by corruption and mortality. What resurrection is about, beloved, is about making corruptible things incorruptible. And taking mortal things, very fragile, this life is so fragile, isn't it? And causing it to be immortal and strong. This is God's work in our lives, and that's what repre- re- that is what is represented by resurrection life. Our prototype, of course, is Jesus. I just want you to, for, for a moment to think about the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, okay? So we all know the story of how he went to the cross, his body mutilated, beaten, he was whipped with cat o' nine tails. His beard pulled from his face, crown of thorns, nails in his hands and feet. He was marred beyond recognition, beaten to a pulp. His blood flowed from his body until his heart gave out. Right? His body failed. And he experienced what the Bible says we will all experience, and that is the sting of death. And in that sting of death, Jesus was the only one so far who was able to overcome the power of death. That on that Friday afternoon that we call Good Friday, it's certainly good for us, was not really good for him, right? That he experienced all the pain and agony and rejection and suffering that this world could throw at him. But on that glorious Sunday morning, all of that was changed. That he was delivered from the power of death by his own hand. This is the difference between the resurrection of Jesus and other resurrections that did take place in the Word of God. For example, we know that his friend Lazarus was sick and he died of his illness. And four days later, Jesus showed up and called him out of the tomb, right? And he came hopping out in his grave clothes looking like a mummy. And they said, unwrap him because the Lord has resurrected him from the dead. Now, the difference between that resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus is that Lazarus had nothing to do with that. Lazarus was just a dead corpse, and Jesus called him out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth, right? And Jesus spoke life into that dead body. The difference here with Jesus' resurrection is that Jesus was resurrected to a new kind of life. This is the picture of corruption putting on incorruptibility. This is the picture of mortality becoming immortal. See, Lazarus, he was resurrected, but his body eventually expired, right? He was resurrected to basically back to his former self. There is a difference, though, with Jesus' resurrection because the body that was resurrected on that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that body is still alive today. What God did 
in Jesus' body is that he took the corruptible flesh and made it incorruptible. It was a transformation. It was a caterpillar to butterfly experience. That Jesus still had the same face. He still has the same DNA as before. But he has been changed into something immortal. In other words, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be looking into the same eyes that the disciples looked into 2,000 years ago. We will, when we shake his hand, we will feel the same imprints of the, of the nails that were pierced in his hands and his feet that was 2,000 years ago. That that body that Jesus has today at the right hand of the Father, that is the same body which will last for eternity. Are you with me? That physical body is the body that has put on incorruption and immortality. You say, that sounds pretty cool. It's the body that will never get sick. It's the body that will never degenerate, right? In, in our lives, we very much know what it's like to age and to, uh, you, know, you know, you're feeling good at about 25 years old, feeling like you could last forever. We'll give it a little time. And then you add another 10 years and you're 35 or you're 45 and all of a sudden your body feels good and then you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you've got pain just from sleeping for eight hours. Something's wrong with this picture because our bodies begin to break down and it's interesting how scientists have figured out how the the molecules of our body, they are losing their regenerative abilities. That's why we age. That, you know, that what what used to be when you were 20 years old, you could fall down and not get hurt because you had Wolverine-like re-capabilities, right? You could could heal very quickly. But see, that ability to regenerate your cells, it slows down with time. And this is why, even if you're in perfect health, you're not going to last more than 110, 120, if you're very blessed, right? You're very, and most people don't make it that, that long. But see, what, what we see in the life of Jesus is that that mortal body, which has an expiration date, will be made immortal. So Jesus, he is the prototype. Have you ever been to a car show? Uh, this is one thing that I used to do uh, back in Arizona. They had these, these car shows that I would go to. I, uh, I, I was very interested in the prototypes that these car companies would make, right? So the prototype models that they, you know, always very futuristic looking, looks like they came out of an episode of the Jetsons or something, and, uh, and they've got all these fancy uh, gadgets and gizmos. And, 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 you know, what's interesting about that is it's very rare that the prototype turns into a consumer car, right? They, they only make, you know, two or three prototypes uh, just to as an exhibition of what this company could produce, right? And they, they push the prototypes because then they're able to take this piece and that piece and then put it into the consumer cars. That's what the prototype is for. The reason I mention that tonight is because Jesus and his resurrection, he is the prototype for what you and I are promised in the scripture here tonight. When you look at what happened to Jesus, we can find comfort and we can find strength 
and we can find victory in the truth that what happened to Jesus will eventually happen to you and I in Christ. That is an incredible truth to think about. Paul says that some, the dead will be raised incorruptible. This is why, beloved, as I mentioned in the last message, that, that the, the Christian perspective on the physical body is that we honor those things. This is the reason why we uh, invest in funerals and in, uh, in, you know, in putting glory and honor. This is why if you can afford it, it's better to have a burial than it is to, uh, what do they call that? Cremation, to be cremated, yeah. And I'm not saying that it's impossible for God but to, to resurrect a bottle of ashes, but I'm also saying that we put a greater honor on a body because we believe the truth of this scripture, that that corruptible body which we lay down into a graveyard will one day come out of that tomb just like Jesus did, and that incorruptible, a corruptible must put on incorruptible, mortality must put on immortality. That is the victory that is promised in this scripture. Look at verse 57 of our scripture. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory. Victory over things that you and I can't control in our own strength. We can't control death. You can't predict when your expiration date is coming. But... Uh, what is promised to us here is that we can still have the victory. We have a great enemy, don't we? We have three great enemies in life. And this enemy wants to destroy you. He hates you. The enemy of our soul wants to steal our destiny, our purpose. And so the enemy of death, sin, flesh, the world, the enemy who is working against us, Satan, working to destroy us. But here's the good news. Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Am I saying that we should, you know, lay down our weapons, uh, stop praying, and just uh, stop resisting because, hey, the battle's already won? No. I'm saying that in one sense, the battle is won. We know who the victor is. We know that Jesus is victorious, and that Satan is defeated. But this is a paradox of the kingdom that even though the ultimate battle has already won, we know that the war will be won, there are still many battles to be fought until we get there. Let's talk about securing our victory. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of of the knowledge of him in every place. I love this scripture. Paul has in mind, and uh, many biblical scholars will, will think that he, you know, he's probably imprisoned as he's writing this letter. And one of the things that would happen in, uh, in Roman um, culture is that, of course, they would go off and fight battles, right? They would, have, uh, they would have galleons of troops, and they would go off and fight battles. And when they were victorious, they would have a victory parade as they came back into the city of Rome. And so these generals uh, would, they would fight these wars, these battles, 
the parades would be celebrated, and the general would come through town leading a chariot and his army marching behind him. And one of the marks of those victory parades is that they would carry these very fragrant uh, uh, bouquets of flowers. Every victorious soldier would carry these, these flowers that would fill the street with the sense, with the aroma of the victory that they had just won. And by the way, on the end of the parade, marching in shackles would be all of the warriors that they had defeated. And they were bringing to uh, either execute or imprison. And so the aroma, here's the Apostle Paul, probably uh, chained to a wall, but he could still smell the aroma of the victory coming through the prison walls. Not only could they see it, you could smell it. This is the essence of what Paul is saying here. Listen to what he said again. He manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. So in other words, God is calling us to be that aroma of victory in our world. In our lives, Jesus Christ is our general who has won the battle for us. And we marching in His army in this great parade, carrying the bouquet of our testimony spreading the aroma of His victory in our lives. And when you get to the end of the parade, there in shackles is the defeated foe, the world, the flesh, and the devil already conquered in Jesus' name. Does it mean that we've stopped fighting? No. It means that we ought to be that aroma of victory. Victory over what tonight? First of all, we have victory over our sin, or we should. Victory over sin. I want you to hear me carefully tonight. Sin is a defeated enemy in your life. Your rebellion against God. Listen, I understand that just because you get saved doesn't mean that you're going to sprout angel wings and be some perfect person, right? We all are going to struggle with temptation. We're going to fall into various sins and troubles. But here's what I want to tell you tonight. There is victory possible over sin. If you will walk in obedience and in, 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 in a, a commitment to the Lord Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's break that down for just a second. He made. Who's that? That's God. God devised the plan to, uh, to fix the sin problem. Aren't you glad? You didn't have to deal with it. God dealt with it. So he made him, who's that? Jesus. God made Jesus into sinless perfection. Jesus did what you and I could not do. He lived a perfect life. He perfectly obeyed every commandment. He perfectly submitted himself to the will of the Spirit of God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we, who's that? That's God's people. We who've trusted in Him, confessed our sins, so that we might what? We might become the righteousness of God. Think how righteous God is. How just and how perfect God is in His character. So why did Jesus have to die? So that we could become the righteousness of God. How are you doing on that? Because what happens with most Christians is we have this little pet sin that we play with and keep in our house. 
You know how people like would adopt a wolf pup, bring it into their house thinking, oh, it's just a dog, right? Find a wolf pup out in the forest. I'll tell you, if you bring a wolf pup into your house, it might be cute and cuddly for the first few weeks. That thing will turn into a monster, won't it? It'll eat your children. Same thing with keeping pet sin in your life. It might be cute and cuddly. You might think you can handle it. No problem. I got this. Nobody knows anyway. Pastor's not going to find out. None of the other Christians will find out. I can just keep my little pet with me. Whatever your pet sin might be, it spoils the righteousness of God that he has already prepared for you. How many Christians are living substandard lives because they don't fully submit and surrender to the power of God? How many Christians are holding back their lives, living with guilt, shame, and condemnation because they keep a little pet sin in their life? I'm going to tell you tonight, Jesus has already given us victory over sin. He's already given it to us. So why don't we walk in it? Not only that, we have victory over death. This is what's spoken about in our scripture. Verse 54, when perishable things will put on imperishable, when corruptible things must put on incorruptible, when mortal must put on immortality, then will come the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This is why, for believers, death is not a frightening thing, or shouldn't be. Death, of course, there is sting, there is pain, there is separation. There is the the sting of even sickness and illness which leads to that death. But see, death is swallowed up in victory. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is not that we die. The worst thing is that we die without Christ. Because for us, what Paul said, to die is actually gain. That doesn't mean we all go jump into a river. <laughs> it means that, uh, that he, was, he was torn between these two ideas. I want to be with you. I want to stay with you and, and, uh, and minister to you. But on the other hand, he says, oh, how I want to be with Jesus. See, in both of those situations, it turns out good, doesn't it? When you and I can look death in the eye and death blinks first, then nothing seems impossible anymore. See, the hard thing, beloved, is not dying for Christ. The hard thing is living for Him. Making daily decisions against your flesh and your desires. The hard thing is submitting your your human will Finally, we have victory over Satan tonight. Colossians 2, verse 15, When he, Jesus, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. When Jesus was crucified, Satan thought that he had the upper hand. But when Christ rose from the grave, Satan realized he had been beaten. That was the public display. Jesus disarmed Satan, disarmed him, took the keys of death and hell. And so we have authority through our Savior over the enemy of our soul. So let's close and think, what does it mean for us today? Because all of this wonderful truth about the future resurrection and the present victory over death and hell and the grave over our enemy, Satan, what does it mean? 
Verse 58, I believe, is one of the great therefores of the Bible. So remember what therefore means. It means considering everything I've said up until this point, this is what you should take away. Let our lesson, (laughs) what do we take away from this, Apostle Paul? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, your work, your labor is not in vain. Consider this as we close tonight. Because of the victory that Christ gave us, is giving us, and will give give us through the resurrection, then we should be steadfast. Everybody say steadfast. What does that mean? It means that we're not moved by the winds and the waves that this life brings to us. It's what Jesus spoke about at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, about the man whose life was planted on the rock. It's about the man who hears the words of Jesus and obeys them and listens to the words of God. His life is planted on that rock. And the wind, the wave, the storm, the difficulties, the pain, the sicknesses, the job losses, that the things that happen to us in this life, yes, they will beat against our lives, against our mind. But Christ says you can be steadfast, immovable, You can plant your life on the rock of Christ. That when temptation, can I tell you, temptation is a wave that will come against your mind, will come against your life. Temptation, sexual sin, temptation for for monetary sin, the temptation to do wrong with, with, uh, with evil thoughts in your mind. But see, those waves can beat against your life and you can be steadfast. Not trembling in fear. See, the, the fear is not from God. Fear is a mark of a life that is not steadfast and immovable. God has called us to live lives of faith, not afraid to take a stand against immorality, not afraid to stand up for what's right in your home, in your family, your marriage. That's that's what it means to be steadfast and movable. How many know that the winds of doctrines and the winds of social change in our culture are constantly beating against our home, telling us what is right and wrong? It's different now than it used to be, right? There's these waves of, oh, no, you've got to speak about people with their proper pronouns. A wave that is beating against us that we have to respect and honor those who reject God's word for gender and righteousness in our generation. We can be steadfast and immovable, standing for what's right. We should still be respectful. We shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be jerks. But we can still stand up for what's right. Can you say amen? Secondly, the point is that we should have servants' hearts abounding in good work. Can you say the word abounding? Abounding in what? In good works. That we should see the result of a life lived well for Christ. This is exactly what Jesus' life showed us. His life was abounding in good works, wasn't it? Caring for people, praying for people, leading people to the knowledge of salvation. 
the giving of time and resources to serve God and serve people. Let me ask you, are you abounding in good works? Or are you abounding in things that are time wasters? Are you abounding in things that a thousand years from now nobody's going to care? Or are you abounding in works that can change people for time and eternity? That's what ministry is. See, that's what really matters in life, isn't it? It's what you do for the kingdom. That we can be steadfast, immovable, with a servant's heart, doing the will of God. Finally, a sure hope. A sure hope. Not living in fear, failure, because we know Christ is in control. Paul said, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus became the prototype for what we will all one day experience. That ought to put some hope in you some confidence, some expectation that, yes, we're all going to have to deal with the reality of death, but that's not the final word on our lives. Christ has made himself of no reputation on our behalf. He has taken the sting of death so that now death is not the final victor. Death is swallowed up in victory of resurrection and hope for our future. So we ought to do the same. Paul regularly, when you read his writings, he regularly gives thanks to Jesus Christ, doesn't he? Thanks be to God because of all that he has done in our lives, that he has given us the possibility for a victorious life. Can I remind you tonight, Christ did not call us to live in defeat. He didn't call us to be in, in darkness and depression and woe is me, and, uh, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves, and the trap of self-pity. Listen, all of those things, God has a victory for us. Have you found the victory tonight? The victory possible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that tonight you can come to this altar, and you can claim that victory today. Has the devil been beaten up on you? Has your flesh been making demands on you? Have the winds and the waves of temptation been washing over your soul? Come find some victory here tonight because it's available. No more making excuses. Well, it's because of this, that, you know, most of the time, the reason why we find ourselves living lives of failure and defeat is our own fault because we have not embraced the victory that Christ already made for us. I want to encourage you tonight. Because Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we have power over sin and over death. That was a really good place to say amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Death is not the final enemy. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, Would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.